morning, Grace Community Church, and welcome those who are online. If you didn't grab some notes on the way in and want to keep up that way, you can uh, look on the screen. I've got a little QR code. You can follow along and you can get the notes emailed to you after the sermon. We're continuing our series called God's Grand Story today. And this is where we're going through the Bible book by book and looking how God is working behind the scenes and oftentimes very in front of the scenes to, to show uh, his love to his people. And uh, there's a lot of parts to this story, but I think it's interesting how God is always working for our good and his glory. So we've been in the midst of judges. Last week, Steve taught on Samson. We've had these strong men like Gideon and different people doing battles. And today we have this odd little book. Uh, It's named for a woman. And it's not a queen. It's not a military leader. It's not even a Jewish woman. And so the question is, how do we get this book of the Bible, who's not even from a Jew, in the midst of this series of judges. Well, we're going to explore that today because uh, this book called the book of Ruth um, is a book about questions that she faced and her responses to those questions. And a lot of those questions that she faced, we face in our lives. So let's bow our heads and pray before we jump in together. Dear God, as we open the book of Ruth that you put in the Bible for us, I do pray you would open up our hearts to hear the part of this story that applies to our story. And I pray as we go through this book together, that if there's ways that we have lost hope, we would find hope again because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. With all great stories, we should begin at the beginning, right? So let's go to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. There's a lot of names in that first few verses. And so you want to grab your Bible dictionary if you have one. I'm going to help out this morning because I grabbed mine earlier this week. And we start off as when the judges governed. Now, the judges was a season of Israel where they did a lot of evil. There's a lot of bad stuff that Israel was doing during the season of the judges. And what God said in Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 19 is he said, when my people do evil, I will allow bad things to happen to them. And so one of the bad things they would allow to happen to them was famines. And so Israel at the time of Ruth is going through a famine. And she is from a town called Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem, if you go to the Bible dictionary, it says it means house of bread. And it's kind of ironic that in Bethlehem there would be no bread. Well, it's because God is allowing this famine to occur. And there's a man who's trying to figure out what he's going to do. And his name is Elimelech. And that man's name means my God is my king. What a cool name. You're looking for a good name for a family member, man. My God is my king. And he's married to this woman, Naomi, whose name means pleasant. Man, what a great couple of people. This is wonderful. And they decide to go to this land called Moab. And I've got a picture for you of kind of a a map of the area. And you'll see these big names like Simeon, Judah, Reuben. And that's because the sons of Jacob all were the inheritors of parts of land in Israel. See, sons would inherit the inheritance. And so we have all these around. But then we've got this Moab on the bottom right I circled in blue. So uh, Moab is not one of the sons of Jacob. He was actually Father Abraham, had a nephew, his name was Lot. Lot had a couple sons, and one of Lot's sons 
was Moab. And that's the place where the Moabites lived. It was outside the land of Israel. In fact, it was a different God over. The Moabites served the God Chemosh, not the God of the Jews, not the true God that we worship today. So Elimelech at this time is thinking, okay, well, we don't have food here. I hear there's food over there. Now, the Moabites and the Jews have a rocky history, but at least at this time, it was peaceful enough for Elimelech to think, I'm going to go there and see if I can find some food. So he travels with his family over to Moab. Now, his two sons, Malon and Chilion, did not have quite as cool names as their parents. Their names mean sickly and wasting away. If you're looking for cool names of family, those are not the ones I'd jump to. I don't know if they had a rough start to life. I don't know if there's a prophetic insight that the parents had. But for whatever reason, they they had some rough names in their family. Verse 3, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. See, this is a really bad few years for Naomi. It is terrible. I mean, it's one thing to lose your husband and become a widow. Imagine losing both your boys, the hardship that she went through. But in Bible times, it's compounded and worse because Naomi does not inherit the estate of Elimelech. At that time, that traveled to the son. So without sons, she was defenseless and possibly in danger of being penniless in this situation. Figuratively speaking, the the house of Elimelech is traveling on a boat and they've just hit an iceberg and they're taking on water and there's not a lot of hope of rescue. So she sees these two daughter-in-laws who she's grown to love and the question is, what what are they going to do? Because they're in trouble too. Verse 8, it says, And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Notice the affection these women have for each other. They had gone through a lot of history. They had gone through comforting one another when members in the family died. They had heard... I mean, these Moabite women had become believers, I think, or at least had a good reason to believe that during this time. They had prayed together. They had bonded together. And Orpah, one of the sisters, kind of sees how bad things are going and kind of sees the wisdom of Nomi's suggestion. And she takes Nomi up on the offer and says, you know what? I think I'm going to abandon this ship. Bless you. I'm going to hug you. And Orpah goes back to her mom's house probably finds a good Moabite man that her mom arranges and has Moabite children and continues on with her life. So what will Ruth do? She spent 10 years married into a family that believes in the true God. She has this connection with Naomi. She loves Naomi. But she realizes if I decide to stay with Naomi, this could be really bad. This could cost me something. I mean, you imagine, I don't know what Bethlehem was doing at this time. You know, Naomi doesn't have any future in Moab, so she's going to go back to Bethlehem. And as Ruth thinks about what are my prospects there, if you go to Bethlehem's Match.com website, uh, you can imagine what her profile might look like. Not as young as I was a decade ago. Yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, previously married and now a widow. Ruth's like, yeah, 
uh, uh, previously married, now a widow, foreigner. We're just like, yeah, I got an accent. Everyone's going to know really fast that I am not from Judah. I am from Moab. Absolutely no money. Yeah, Risa, I got that one. Got that one. Uh, mother-in-law goes everywhere I go. Um, that's always a good one for your profile if you're looking to get a lot of swipes. That's a good one. Um, after many years of marriage, barren. I mean, she'd been married for 10 years, no children. She had every reason to believe that she was not going to have children. No people I went to high school with in Bethlehem. No connections, no friends. This was not looking good for Ruth's prospects for the rest of her life. How is she going to respond to Naomi's encouragement that you get off this ship we call the Elimelech Express? You rescue yourself. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. And if you didn't get it, I want to make this really clear. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. What a demonstration of love and loyalty. What a demonstration of confidence that she would rather be with the people of God than her own people at her own personal cost. You know, I've been touched again and again in this congregation seeing how well so many of the household of faith honor the widow, honor those in need. You know, I've seen my mother-in-law like many years now just serving her mom who's been widowed twice, caring for her, serving her, being kind to her. I see a guy in my life group, AJ, and his wife, Jill, how just serving his mom, caring for her, giving a place for her. If I go around the room, there's a lot of faces I'm looking at right now that just have story after story where you guys have stepped up in a big way to serve the widows. And I want you to know, God noticed Ruth. And God notices you when you do those things. God noticed Ruth. And, and I don't know if this is the point of the story that God starts moving or he's been moving the whole time. But from this point of the story, God is going to start moving some things behind the scenes to change Ruth's life. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth moved back to Bethlehem together. Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. They both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Naomi said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Why do you call me pleasant? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Naomi names herself Mara, which means bitter. So don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Because I have been afflicted by God. I am empty. I have nothing. I have no reason for hope. Now, we have the benefit of story after story in the Bible where we see God come through when things don't look so good. We have verses where it says God demonstrated his love for us that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. We have all these stories that we have that Ruth and Naomi did not have. But Naomi did have some things. She was not completely empty. She had her God. She knew that God was real. 
She had God's promises for his people, and she had Ruth. Now, many people, everyone, I think, underestimates that third thing. Like, how valuable really could Ruth be? She's not a son. She couldn't inherit the estate. She couldn't rescue her family. How valuable could Ruth be? I think Ruth probably underestimated Ruth at this point of the story. But God sees her, and she has eminent value, and her faith is going to change the story. But for now, they have some priorities, like they're really hungry. So Ruth and Naomi need food. So Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, following one in whose eyes I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now, why would Ruth want to go to the fields? Why would that the place she thinks grain can be found? Well, God gave a certain command in Leviticus to godly farmers. It says this, Leviticus 19.9, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. God's telling the farmers in Israel, trust me, I want you to be slightly inefficient on the corners of your fields. I want you to leave that corners alone. Don't cut it all down. We're not trying to maximize every ounce we can get from these acres. Leave a bit there. And as you gather the wheat or the barley into sheaves, into groups, I want to show you a picture of that. You can imagine if I sent you guys out to do this, you would drop some along the way. As you're gathering, there'd be some on the ground. And he says, when you drop some on the ground gathering it, don't try and pick it all up. Leave it there. The reason is that there are poor among you. There's widows. There's people like Naomi and Ruth who need to eat. And if you're a godly farmer, you'll leave that behind. It belongs to the foreigner and the widow among you. I love the wisdom of God providing in this way. That he provides for the poor without them losing their dignity. He says, go work in the fields. There's a, there's a pathway for you. You have to go work. You have to you pick it up yourself. You have to do the things. But there's a pathway for you to eat. So Ruth and Naomi have, a, have an opportunity to eat here. Paul affirms the same idea of work as a blessing and a gift in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. So Ruth goes. Verse 3, she goes. So she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she just happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. She just happened to come. You know, from Ruth's perspective, she did. She just kind of went out. Left or right? I don't know. I'll go right. I'm not really from Bethlehem. I don't know how to go around. I'm just going to go somewhere. And she just happens to come to this place. But we know that God is moving behind the scenes, and he directs her to a certain field. And this field is operated by a godly farmer named Boaz. And Boaz notices her and asks around about her, and he finds out this is the woman who came back with Naomi. And she has shown loyalty to Naomi, and she cares about Naomi. And she is helping to feed Naomi. And Boaz says, man, I, I just love that story. So he tells his harvesters, you know, all that time I've been training you to really be real efficient and gathering up this. I want you to be really inefficient today. I want you to drop some extra on the ground, wherever Ruth is. And if she needs some water, let her have some water. If she wants to go, wherever she wants to go, you guys be kind to this woman. So at the end of the day, Ruth has way more than she thought she was going to have. She brings home mega food to Naomi. And Naomi's like, where did you get all this food from? It's amazing. And Ruth said, well, I went to this guy's field named Boaz. And Naomi, for the first time in quite a while, has a glimmer of hope in her eye. We read about it in, Re in uh, Ruth 2, verse 20. 
The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He, the Lord, has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man, Boaz, is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, what in the world is a guardian redeemer? We're just like, if I knew there was guardian redeemers around, I would have loved someone to tell me. Well, in those days, there was this custom, and it comes from Deuteronomy 25, 5 to 6. It involves a situation like Ruth finds herself in. See, Ruth had a husband, but no children, and the husband died. Well, what, what Deuteronomy says, if that happens, then the brother, brother of the one who died is called the leveret, and he's supposed to marry his childless sister-in-law, the widow. And the reason he does this is to raise up sons and children to keep the family going so the family's name is not blotted out from the history of Israel. It's kind of an interesting custom. We don't do this today, but this is what was supposed to happen. This is the way that God set it up for someone like, like Ruth to be cared for in this situation. Well, it just so happens that Boaz is one of the relatives. He's not a close relative. He's not the closest mess, maybe, but he is a relative. So Naomi's like, oh, this could be, this could work. This could like be the answer to, for our family. So you can imagine day after day, Ruth goes out to the same field because Ruth's smart. I'm being treated kindly there. I'm protected there. Plenty of food there. So she goes out day by day to the field to glean. She comes home to Naomi and Naomi's like, so how did it go today? And Ruth's like, it went good. And I was like, did you happen to see Boaz? And Ruth's like, sure. And I was like, well, did you talk? <laughs> and Ruth's like, he said hi, you know, and that's all that happened that day. So then she goes out the next day. Same thing with mom. How did it go today? Well, it was the same. And this goes day after day. We're just seeming like he's being kind, but seeming like there's not a lot of action going on. And you're like, okay, well, we'll just see. But at some point here, the harvest ends. See, at some point you run out of barley and wheat to cut down, and there's no reason for Ruth to go to that field anymore. There's no reason for Boaz to go to that field anymore, and the two are not in the same place at the same time. So what are we going to do? Well, Naomi hatches a plan. And I do think this is a divinely inspired plan. And she says, okay, Ruth, here's what I want you to do. Take a bath. You stink. Like, I, like all that field, I love all that work you've been doing. Man, take a bath and put on your best clothes. And, and do this. Wait till Boaz has a huge meal. Just a pro tip for all the women out there. If you have a serious conversation you want to have with a guy, wait till after they have a great meal. They're in a much better mood. And, and Queen Esther does this uh, a little bit later in, in the book, you know, uh, King Ahasuerus, she feeds him multiple times before she pops a really difficult question for him. So Naomi sends Ruth out in her best clothes, bathed, timing it just right. And here's what we read that she does in verse 7 of chapter 3. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she, Ruth, came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. 
I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now, I do just want to point out, I missed the marriage proposal too, my first time. Like, you're like, where is the getting on a knee? Where's the ring? Where's the will you marry me? I missed it all. So uh, it's in there. It's just a little, it's a little different. See, in Ezekiel 16:8, God uses the same phraseology with covering to talk about having a covenant relationship with Israel. And Ruth is using the same phraseology with Boaz, and he immediately understands what she's asking. She's asking him to do what it said in Deuteronomy, to marry her and for them to redeem Elimelech's land, Elimelech's inheritance, and to rescue her and Naomi. And he understands and says, man, this is great. You are a woman of excellence. It's the same, ver- uh, same words used in Proverbs 31 to talk about a woman of noble character. So Ruth is the first Proverbs 31 woman. And Boaz is loving this idea. He said, this is great. Um, and I keep thinking to myself in the story, like, if this is so great, Boaz, why didn't you pop the question first? Like, what are you doing for all these days in the fields? Well, Boaz was a man who knew the law, and he loved God's law. And I think the next verse tells us why he didn't make the first move. Verse 12 Boaz says, Now it is true I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I am. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he, that other relative, will redeem you, then good. Let him redeem you. So Ruth goes home. Uh, But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. See, Boaz knew that this other guy should be the one to redeem her. But he had done nothing. I mean, Naomi and Ruth are uh, hungry when they get to Bethlehem. This other relative does nothing and doesn't seem to be moving. So Boaz is like, I'm going to resolve this. So the next day he goes to the temple, uh, the temple gates, the city gates, and he invites this other relative to come and the elders to come and says, it is time that we fix this Elimelech land issue. It is time that we sell Elimelech's land and you are the closest relative, so you'd be the one to buy it, right? And the guy says, yeah, I'd love to have some more land. More land means I'm more important. I'd love that. And then Boaz sneaks in the extra requirement. He says, now, according to the law, when you buy it on that exact same day, you must marry Ruth, that Moabitess, that foreigner. And this guy says, oh, I, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I have all sorts of reasons why that would be a bad plan for me. And so he takes off his sandal as a symbol and hands it to Boaz saying, I no longer have a claim to this position. In fact, if you read about this in Deuteronomy 26.10, this is a pretty uh, harsh um, view of a person that will not live up to what they're supposed to do for their family member. In fact, Deuteronomy 26.10 says, a man who does not do this should remain nameless in Israel. And in fact, we don't know his name. Ruth doesn't tell us the name of this other relative. Everyone has a name in this book, even like Wasting Away and all this. But everyone has a name. This guy is only known as the sandalless guy. And that's all it is. And so he then leaves the scene. And Boaz says, I get to go redeem Ruth now. Fast forward to the end of the story, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. What a beautiful wedding present for this new couple from the Lord. 
I mean, she had gone for 10 years, not quite sure if her body was broken, not quite sure if she would ever have children, not knowing how this would ever work for her. And immediately God opens her womb, and she and Boaz have a son. The son's name is Obed. Remember when Naomi told her friends that she came back empty from Moab, just not really anything valuable with her? Let's see how the women of Bethlehem view Ruth now after being around her a little bit. Verse 14, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. It wasn't Ruth's background that made her valuable, more valuable than seven sons in that culture. It wasn't her family history. It wasn't her talents. It was her faith. You know, the story started off with tragedy and death, but because of Ruth's faith, now it is ending in new life and joy again. Even Naomi is recognizing that there is great hope and rejoicing as she's holding this new grandson, Obed. And, and Obed would come to have a son himself. And Obed's son would be Jesse. And Jesse's son would be King David. And King David would kill Goliath, write much of the Psalms, and hugely, hugely important, the legacy left by Ruth. And it even goes on later in Matthew 1.5. Ruth shows up just one time in the New Testament, this one little small place where it talks about the genealogy of Jesus because she would be a great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus who would come also born in Bethlehem as a redeemer to anyone who needs one. And so my question I want to land on as we've kind of gone through the whole story of Ruth is, how do we get our redeemer to enter our story like Ruth got her redeemer to enter hers? How do we get our Redeemer Jesus to enter our story. Well, the first thing we want to do is just go back to her great proclamation she made to Naomi, where she said, Naomi, your God is my God. So the first thing we want to do is make God your God. Make the true God of the universe your God. If you're kind of just dating him, you kind of haven't decided if you're all in or not, man, Ruth was all in on God. She said, I am not going back to Moab. I'm not going back to Chemosh. I am not going back to those other gods. I am all in. This God is my God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 to 25, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, when we go all in on God and he redeems us, he owns us. He owns our heart. He owns our body. He owns us. He has redeemed us. So if you're holding back any area of your life from God, I encourage you to surrender it to him. He can be trusted. So the first thing is make God your God. The second way to get the Redeemer in our story is make the people of God your people. Identify as one of the household of faith. Paul says in Galatians 6.10, so then while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, and especially those who are of the house of the faith. 
So if you are a follower of God, that means, according to Paul and according to the Bible, that you are a brother or a sister of mine. We are literally family. When you walk into church on a Sunday morning and you are among the people of God, you are family here. You should feel like I'm with family this morning. I am part of here. I'm not on the outside. I'm not still carrying that Moabite thing going on. I am part of the family of God, and these are my people. And we should care about one another. We should serve one another. We should be devoted to one another, especially those in the household of faith. My encouragement is you, if you haven't, if you're all in on God but have not really received that label of I am now part of the family of God, I encourage you to do that today. It's a great thing to walk into a life group and say, these are my people. It's a great thing to walk into worship and say, these are my people. At the end of the book of Ruth, they all saw her identification with the household of faith. And the whole community praised her for the love and loyalty she demonstrated to those who are in her family. And finally, number three, never lose hope. Naomi lost hope for a little while. I mean, I, I think we don't often rename ourselves bitter when we lose hope. But there's some, there's some hopelessness that can happen. And Naomi lost it for a little bit. I don't think she even told Ruth about this idea of a kinsman redeemer. I don't think it even came up um, because she had said, that's never really going to happen to us. That kind of thing doesn't happen to families like ours. Never lose hope. Ruth did not lose hope. She had faith. And, and I think one thing we need to realize is as long as our redeemer lives, we have great reason for hope. And it may even be that God is calling some of you to help someone just for a season who has lost hope hope themselves. Like Ruth went alongside Naomi, put her arm around her and said, I know you've lost hope, but let's just keep going. Let's keep trusting. Let's keep going here. And eventually, I think Ruth was the one who brought Naomi back to a place of joy again. I love this story. I love how God put this right in the middle of the Old Testament just for us for today. So I, I just encourage you, if you came in today needing God to enter your story, I want you to hear he wants to. You need to just invite him in. So if you guys all stand with me today, we're going to close in prayer. Uh, before I pray, though, if you're brand new, I would sure love to meet you this morning. I met a couple people on the way in. I'd love to meet you. We're going to have a welcome area over here. I'll be over. they got a gift for you this morning. If you came in today and there's just some things you need prayer for, we're going to have some elders right up here at the front. If you want to come up, they're going to pray for you because God answers prayers all the time. And then if you have questions, they like, how do I get involved in Kids Hope? How do I get involved in ministries? I don't quite understand this. we got a connection corner to answer all your questions back there. So take advantage of that. Let's bow our heads. God, we just thank you so much just for the gift of hope today. The gift of a Redeemer who looks down, and not because we are special, because you have said, man, I love that person. I love that person. And I want to redeem that situation that seems hopeless and turn it into something with joy. And we see you do that time and time and time again, both in the Bible, and we've seen you do it in this community here. We have this Ebenezer stone down front because we have seen year after year how you have been faithful to us. And we declare before you today that we will trust you. We will stay, keep our hope 
alive because you're alive. And we ask that you would strengthen our faith today, that we would really walk out every area of our lives sold out to the God of the universe. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.